If you can't wait a whole month for our next episode, you can join our Patreon membership for early releases and exclusive content for only $5 a month at patreon.com slash transgender school. And you can rent our 90-minute course, Transgender Allyship 101, where we reenact my coming out and teach you how to be a true ally to any trans person in your life at vimeo.com slash on demand slash trans ally. Welcome to the Transgender School Podcast, where we talk about diverse LGBTQ identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates. I'm Bridget. My daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman when she was 19. I was totally unprepared, but I've learned a lot since then. When I came to terms with my identity, I realized that I needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now I want to help other trans people navigate their own experiences. I am incredibly honored and excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Erin Baker. Thank you so much for being here, Erin. Well, thank you for having me. Very, yes, very excited for our conversation and welcome Jackie. Good to see you after getting to see you just a few days ago. This is very exciting to see you again so soon. Good to be here and thanks for taking the time to join us, Erin. Welcome. All right, I will go ahead and introduce Erin and share a little bit about what we're going to talk about so you know how important the topic is today, and then we'll get right into our questions. So Dr. Erin Baker is a self-leadership coach, a business strategist, social psychologist, internal family systems practitioner, which you should definitely look into because I've learned a lot from them about this and have really found it to be incredibly helpful, and an official curator of joy, which I love. They hold a PhD in psychology from University of Texas, Austin, and were formerly in leadership roles at Facebook and Microsoft. Dr. Aaron is known, and I can attest to this, for their infectious energy, unapologetic authenticity, incisive wit, and unflinching commitment to helping their clients create joyful AF businesses and lives that light them up. And that leads us to their book, which you all have to go out and get right away, which I'm currently reading and I'm loving it. And it is called Joyful AF, The Essential Business Strategy We're Afraid to Put First. And I definitely, we definitely want to hear more about that. Dr. Aaron also hosts two fantastic podcasts that you must check out. I have listened to several episodes, love them all. So definitely you can find them on any podcast app. And they are called Shift Starters and Life in the And. We hear a lot about both and and the concept of things don't have to be either or, they can be and. And there's a lot of conversation that needs to happen around that. So I really appreciate that podcast. A fun fact about Aaron is that they have two incredibly sweet fur babies. Jackie and I talk about our pets all the time. Jackie has two cats and a dog also. And Dr. Aaron has Harper, who is a wonderful, sweet senior dog and an unusually, I think unusually friendly cat named Lou Bear. The only other cat as friendly as Lou Bear is Jackie's cat, Cody. 
who I adore. And Jackie has two wonderful cats, but Cody is my sweetheart and always just, just is so loving whenever I'm there. So both of you have these really special cats and dogs. And so we all have that. And I have two dogs. So we all have that in common is the love for our babies, our animal babies. Is there anything I left out, Erin, before I go into the preview of what we're going to talk about? I feel like you just told my entire life story. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's a wrap. We're good. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> I think the only other thing, which is very fun fact about me, is that probably five days a week, there's some form of Michigan, University of Michigan gear, whether it's socks, <laughs> shirts, shorts on me. So I'm I'm pretty obsessed with all things University of Michigan, football, basketball, sports. That's where I did my bachelor's degree. And I suppose I, I went to Texas, but I have never rooted for them in my life. But apparently they play, they play football well. <laughs> Good to know. Thank you for sharing that. And I love you're wearing the Michigan shirt right now. So we can see that, that Michigan pride. And I know you grew up in Arizona and partly Michigan as well, Mm. spending some time in Michigan. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I consider that more home than Arizona in a lot of ways. Although don't tell my Arizona friends. Okay. (laughs) Won't. And now you're here in LA with me. So I'm very happy that you consider this home now. So let me just. Tell our listeners, everybody, we're so thankful that you're here. We know you're going to really enjoy this episode. What we're going to talk about, because we haven't really had a conversation around some of the things that we're going to discuss today, but we've had a lot of questions about some of the topics. And so we're going to talk about uh, Dr. Aaron's non-binary identity and top surgery. And we're really thankful that they are so open about this because it's a topic that people ask about a lot. It's a topic I hear a lot of questions about from parents and the parent groups I'm in, from our audience. And we really want to be able to help people understand a little better and answer some of those questions that we know are out there. And we also want to talk about Dr. Baker's professional life and their coaching work because they offer so much value to their clients. We are both coaches. Aaron and I are both coaches. I'm an executive and life coach also. And Aaron does some similar coaching to the kind of coaching I do and also some different things that that I've been able to learn a lot from. And so we really want you to know a little bit about the coaching world and especially coaching members of the LGBTQ plus community, which Erin does and being a member of the community, I think is really important in that realm to offer that value. So we're going to dive into all of this and I'm just going to turn it over to Jackie to start with the questions. Well, thanks again for being with us today, Erin. So I'll start off by just asking you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and about what you do and if you're to the extent that you're comfortable sharing about how and when you came out. Yeah, I must start with a coming out story because we'll talk about the what I do later. Yeah. So I feel old right now as I say this, but I came out almost 20 years ago as gay of some sort. It was 2004. I was a junior in college. And I had been questioning that since I was probably 12 or 13, but I hadn't really quite wrapped my brain around it until I was in college, which is, I think, fairly typical for a lot of folks once you kind of leave the house and you have some freedom to explore. And it was about a year and a half after I came out as gay that I started hanging out a lot at the LGBT Center at Michigan. And I met this wonderful trans man named Sebastian, and he was teaching gender workshops. And all of a sudden, I realized that there was this thing in between that I had never understood. And it 
all of a sudden clicked in my brain as, oh my gosh, this resonates with me. Because when I was a really little kid, I was the quintessential quote unquote tomboy and walked around in basketball shorts and t-shirts. I had a basketball in my hand probably from the time I came out of my mother. And I had this sense of, I feel like I should have been a boy, but I don't want to be a boy. And so I just accepted that there was something weird and tried so hard for so many years, especially in high school, to be feminine. And so learned all about this non-binary gender. I wish I could tell you that that was the moment that I went, I'm non-binary, I'm out. Not at all. I did what was the safest thing for me to do at the time, which is I started teaching workshops on gender. I was a social work intern for a year at the Michigan LGBT office and then moved out to San Diego, started teaching workshops there, introduced a good friend to the concept of non-binary gender. But for some reason, it wasn't safe enough for me to explore. I kind of, I could teach it, but I couldn't be it. And there was a sense at the time of I'm not non-binary enough, which in retrospect, I have no idea what I mean by that because there's no one way to be anything, let alone non-binary. But I thought I needed to be more masculine than I was. And at the time when I was teaching these workshops, I still had long hair. It took me a while to, to, to take that leap. And there were still some ways that my feminine identity really resonated with me. So I kind of just sat on it for years and years and years and watched my friend who I had introduced to non-binary identity go through top surgery, then start adopting they, them pronouns. And I wasn't there yet. I wasn't as as non-binary as them. And then I just had a moment, gosh, it must've been 2018 when I, or maybe 2017. It doesn't really matter how, it's six or seven years ago at this point where I went, oh no, there are so many ways to be non-binary. I'm allowed to claim this identity. And so... I came out on Facebook at some point. I came out to a lot of close others. I hadn't changed my pronouns at that point. I was still really identifying with she, her. And at that point, I'd been thinking about top surgery ever since I learned about non-binary identity in college. But I was really terrified of a whole lot of things that went along with that. But about 2017 is when I said, you know what? I have to really take this seriously. And... It's sort of been a trajectory since then. And now I am fully in they, them pronouns. She, her works okay, but I really prefer they, them. And I'm just, I've worked with some really cool non-binary people who are across all kinds of different, both identities and expressions of gender. And I look back and go, wow, absolutely. I was non-binary enough because look at the beautiful rainbow of non-binary, of gender in general. And I'm curious, building on that, I've noticed, I mean, having a non-binary partner, I've definitely, and being a binary trans woman, I've noticed that people often have an easier time gendering me correctly or understanding my gender identity, even if they they know I'm trans and they will struggle more often with accepting my partner's identity or using they, them pronouns. And so I'm curious to hear what your experience has been like at, at different stages throughout that journey or in different settings with people respecting your pronouns and, and how that might compare to some more binary trans friends you might have. Yeah, it's absolutely a thing. When I first came out, 
I think there were a lot of people who were very relieved that I wasn't changing my pronouns from she, her, because it made things easy for them. And there are still some people in my life, very close people in my life who misgender me. And it's actually quite frustrating and and tough for me. Even though my ex-partner would oftentimes very much emphasize my they, them around these close people. But I've also had a lot of people who've been really good about it. It's just a struggle of when I'm in spaces that are new, the automatic assumption is she, her. Even to the point where a week ago, I went to an LGBT-oriented picnic over in Silver Lake and nobody asked my pronouns. And it was just assumed the whole time I was she, her. And I just kept getting she, heard. And I didn't know these people. There's a part of me that really wishes I would have stood up for myself and said, hey, they, them. But it's a lot of labor to do that. And I sort of decide in every moment whether that's something I want to do. So it did inspire me. There's a community that Bridget and I are part of. I went on Tuesday night to our our regular gathering and I introduced myself and I said, hey, and I'm they, them. And it was wonderful because the leader later was talking about me in reference to the rest of the group and was wonderful about acknowledging those pronouns. But it's tough. Actually, one of my favorite moments happened to me literally yesterday. My property manager came over and he's... I don't know exactly how old he is, maybe 20s, early 30s, former military guy. And he was on the phone with someone referring to me as she. And after he got off the phone, he said, I'm so sorry. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I hope I don't offend you. But what pronouns do you want me to use? And I said, they, them. And he said, okay, great. I'm so sorry. I was she hurrying you. And I thought, who are you? I very rarely do I have cisgender males, especially military, because there's stereotypes around that, asking me that. And I just, all of a sudden, I mean, I already adored the guy, but all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, how cool was that moment? And that doesn't happen very often. I often have to be the one saying, hey, hey, I'm they. Well, here's to more of those of those moments and to more people understanding and to asking people's pronouns if you're not sure. I think some people might feel hesitant to ask, but I think it's always better to ask than to assume. And I'm very adamant. I know some people have their own issues with this, but I'm adamant about all of us putting our pronouns. Hmm. And partially because so many non-binary folk I know maybe present as a traditionally feminine person, but go by they, them, or Hmm. have masculine qualities and go by she, her. I mean, the fact that It shouldn't just be for those of us who don't fit into the binary to be explaining our pronouns. It should just be, why don't we all come out with it just like we all have a name? We all have pronouns. And what if we stop assuming that pronouns mean anything about our gender? That would be a better world for sure. It would be. I mean, (laughs) I'm hoping we're heading that way. And I'm also not sure we're anywhere close, but maybe in my lifetime. I'm not that old yet. I like to think we're headed in the right direction. That's that's yes. why we're all here doing this today, at least. Absolutely. So on on another related topic, we, we would also love to have you share as much as you're comfortable with our audience about how you decided to have top surgery and what that experience was like for you and mm-hmm. any tips you might have for other people who are thinking about it or family members who are trying to support someone they know who's having it. Yeah, so... 
the idea crossed my mind in 2006 when I first learned about non-binary gender. And I'm pretty open. I had very large breasts. I had D cups, which made it very hard for me to hide. And it was a constant mismatch of my gender and my body. And I remember thinking about it back in 2006 and saw someone else in the community got top surgery and I flipped out having seen it. And I think some of it was my own internalized transphobia. And some of it was probably surgeries have gotten a lot better since then. I really ran away from it. And I loosely kept it on my radar, but I just, I, for some reason, thought this is just never going to work for me. For some reason, I also didn't know it's what I wanted. I, some people are absolutely clear that having top surgery is the most gender aligned thing to do. I wasn't sure. I thought about just a, a reduction because they were so big. I thought about going all the way. I looked into it when I was in my PhD in Austin. There were no gender affirming people at that time. So I had to go into plastic surgeons who were not familiar with this. And that was extremely uncomfortable to the point where one plastic surgeon said she wouldn't go below a C cup because it would look bad. And she had more, she was more concerned about the the look that she would create than my own gender. Wow. Yeah. So I just held off and held off. And then when I was working, I think it was, I started looking into it at Facebook because I knew I could get gender affirming surgery for, I think at the time it was completely covered by Facebook. But then I went into, is this what I really want? Oh my gosh, it's permanent. What if it's just a reduction I want? I felt very torn between what I wanted to do. And right between my time, I left Facebook and had a month off between that and Microsoft. And I met this, had met this woman at an event who was a coach not a coach on gender. She was actually at the time working with people on alcohol. I connected with her. I started coaching with her just on my own personal stuff. And she said to me, Erin, come down to Mexico. I'm running a retreat. And at the time I thought, Caitlin, what am I going to do as a non-binary human with a bunch of straight white ladies at a retreat? Like that sounds awful to me. And she just said, trust me, Erin. Trust me, come. So I took the leap. I went down to Mexico and these women were the most gender affirming humans I've ever met to the point where they were the ones calling me on my surgery day, talking me through things. And I remember it being kind of by a pool, beautiful ocean view. And Caitlin asked me this question of who's more important. I don't remember his exact words, but it was basically like, who's more important? You or what society wants. Because what I was really panicking about was, how do I walk into restrooms? I already look like a, a male and that freaks people out. And they, they still freak out even if they see my D cups. How am I going to be on a beach? What is this going to be like going into practitioners and all that? And I was really, really panicked. And that one question was like, oh, I've got to do this for me. And... I kind of got to this point where I realized it's not as irreversible as I thought. And I probably know what I'm, I probably know deep down what I want. 
So I immediately came back from the retreat and got myself on the list for a guy who's actually, I think, pretty well known now in trans top surgery in San Francisco. And I think that was like November, November 2017. And it was March 1st of 2018 that top surgery happened. And I woke up so me, so aligned. I had several people look at pictures of me afterwards and say, this is how we've always seen you. And now I forget sometimes. It's so just naturally part of me. Every so often, if I go get a massage with a new massage therapist, it occurs to me if I go see a new doctor. But there's so much more awareness now too that when I I look for people who are asking for pronouns on intake forms and I look for those trans-affirming or non-binary affirming folks and it's it's amazing to just feel so in my body. And I'm glad I did it when I did it, but there is a small part of me that thinks, wow, what would have been like to do that 10 years earlier? I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm curious, what what advice would you give to a non-binary person or, or anyone really who's considering top surgery and just kind of feeling those feelings you were, where you're you want this, but you're not sure. How, how did you untangle that all? Yeah. I would get clear on what's stopping you. Is it your own internal, I'm not sure if I want this? Or is it a societal fear? I would also get clear on if you somehow decide to do it and it's not the right thing, how okay are you with, say, a reconstruction? My sense is that most people who are considering it deep down really, really want it. Trust yourself. Trust that if you're willing to even go the mile to do the research and find out about it, this is probably going to be very gender affirming. The data out there on on trans folks who do gender affirming anything, hormones, surgery, whatnot, very few people regret it. More people regret a tattoo. So I would say... Yeah, trust. And if you're a parent, trust your kid. And I say that at every age. I've had a friend just ask me the other day about younger kids. And I said, you know what? These kids know. And it's not, they're just deciding whether they like chocolate or vanilla. They're, they really, really know. So trust yourself if you're thinking about it and trust your kid if your kid is thinking about it. And then any advice on the recovery, both for people who might be about to have top surgery mm-hmm. and for people who are trying to support them through that? Yeah, the recovery was a few weeks of sort of major recovery in some senses. And then it was about six months where I couldn't lift my arms over my head just to reduce the scar. Have somebody in your life, whether it's a partner, a friend, a parent who can work with you for the, at least the first week or two. My experience was I didn't even take pain meds after the first day. I barely felt it. And I had a pretty big amount of tissue removed. And just be, yeah, be around someone who just super supports. I was really lucky. My wife was always supportive. And my mother-in-law flew out to be with me during it. And my my own mother, for lots of reasons, couldn't be there. And it was really nice to have a mother figure to be uh, loved on during that time. 
Thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing and and in so much detail. I think that'll really help a lot of people who are listening. Yeah. Yeah. I would also say I have one regret and that is that I didn't document it better. So I I knew that people did that and I just could not get myself in gear to, to document that process. And I think in retrospect, it would have been really fun to have just for my own sake, a record of what the first what it was like waking. I do have a picture of me waking up from surgery and I have like this thumbs up and a grin on my face, but I don't have the days after. And I have a few other pictures from like the first time I put on a button down and there was no gap there, but highly, highly recommend just personally documenting the process. Thank you for, thank you for sharing all of that. It's going to be really informative for our audience. Mm -hmm. You already spoke to this, but I want to ask if we can take a minute more for the parents, because I think it's so important to reinforce what you said about parents. Please believe your kids. Please understand that whatever gender affirming surgery they are expressing that they want and need, they really do need it. It's not cosmetic. It's not optional. It's necessary. It's in many cases covered by insurance for exactly Mm -hmm. that reason. And I think because I'm in so many parent support groups, one of the things that I hear a lot of confusion around is even parents who are very supportive will understand gender affirming surgery, bottom surgery or top surgery for a trans male. And they really are struggling in a lot of cases to understand top surgery for a non-binary person. And I've heard Mm -hmm. them say things, I don't understand if you don't identify with a gender, why there's just... I think there's still this gap in understanding mm-hmm. there. And, and what you said, you did speak to it when you said, and it hit me, just gender affirming. It felt aligned. You said it felt mm-hmm. aligned. My gender felt aligned when I woke up. And that, like, mm-hmm. I really want people to understand that, that it's not having a surgery to match one of these really rigid constructs that we have about gender. It's to be gender aligned. Can you speak a yeah. little more about that? Yeah, I have lots of thoughts racing through my head, but something that I want to start with is not too long after I had my top surgery, my best friend, who's now been my best friend for like 20 years, had a breast augmentation. And she woke up feeling aligned in her femininity. And I just want to point that out because there are people doing things whether it's makeup, surgery, other things that make them feel in their gender, but because it fits into the traditional boxes, we don't notice it. And this is just another version of feeling more yourself. And for me, I joke about I'm I'm all male on top, female on bottom. I don't think that's actually how I feel, but it's sort of a joke that makes sense to people. It's That's the thing that felt misaligned for me. So I also, I have nightmares. I joke about this too. It's always time to get a haircut when I have nightmares that I grew my hair out and it's long again. So there's things we can do to align our gender that are not permanent like cutting hair, but they're all these different ways of being able to express that feeling of here's the masculine side of me. And testosterone doesn't feel aligned because I don't feel male but I do feel like there's some masculine parts of me. And so it's to me, the alignment is alignment with that mixture. 
and continuing to have a completely female body didn't feel in alignment with the both and for me. Thank you, Aaron. I think that that's a really important elaboration on that point and helping people understand. So each individual has to make the choice about what gender alignment means for them. So some non-binary people do go on testosterone. Yes. Some non-binary people do not want top surgery. Some non-binary people do not want to use they, them pronouns. This is, Mm -hmm. I think, the biggest message of this whole podcast and why we keep Mm -hmm. bringing on, trying to bring on as many guests as we can and have as many unique conversations as we can, because we're not saying that your experience is every non-binary person's experience. Mm -mm. And also, this is what I wanted to point out about what you said that's so important is that it can change over time as people come to know themselves better Mm -hmm. and get more in touch and, and we have to unlearn all that shit from society that's been ingrained in us and brainwashed us. Right. So also speaking from the parent perspective, a lot of parents will say, well, when my kid first came out, they said they didn't want any surgery. And now 10 years down the road, they want to have surgery. So what? So they realized what gender alignment meant for them. And it changed. We change as human beings over time, all the time and come more into alignment with who we are. Yeah. If you could speak to that as well a little more, that'd be great. Yeah, I think what you're saying is important because I think it can be a little bit scary for parents when they say, oh, well, it can change. Well, what if they have surgery and then 10 years down the line, they didn't want the surgery? And again, I'll go back to the data that shows when people have these types of major alterations to their physical form, they usually know. But I will also say what you said is so important is it changes, but we're always learning about ourselves. And I think we're homing in on who we are in a deeper and deeper way. And sometimes when we first come out, it is hard to see what's truly what I want, what's fear around society, what is even this gender thing. And I will say some of the people I've worked with and coached, especially in the non-binary space, it's really confusing to grapple with being in neither in the societal form. What does that really mean? And it takes a while to get comfortable. And for some people, when they realize they're non-binary, that becomes a very fixed sort of point in the spectrum or the sphere. And for other people, it's a very flowing thing. Oh, some days I feel completely woman and some days I feel completely male and some days I'm in between. And For those people, it takes a long time to get comfortable with the fluidity because everybody outside wants to predict. And if I can't even predict what I'm going to wake up feeling like, it's unsafe to be in the world because nobody can predict out there either. And who knows what they're going to do to me, what they're going to say to me. So for people, it does take a lot of time to get really solid in who you are. And I'm still discovering. I'm going to be discovering for the rest of my life what non-binary means. And I'm going to be discovering it even more now that I've gone through an amicable divorce and I'm going to be dating again because I have not dated as a non-binary person. I met my wife identifying as cisgender and it was five years, no, more than that, six, seven years into our relationship where things changed. And I, I think that's such an important point. And I've experienced that too. I mean, when I first came out, I would wear makeup every day and I 
And at the time, I think that was really hindsight about proving to people that I was female and presenting Mm -hmm. a certain way and not getting misgendered. But at the time I was thinking, oh, well, this is just what I want to do. And in in a way it was what I wanted to do. But as time moved on, I haven't worn makeup in nine months since my wedding. And so I still wear makeup once in a while, but it's really not a thing on a day-to-day basis for me. And that, that changes over time. And I definitely, people around me have been like, oh, wait, what? Not in any offensive way, but what's that about? Or do you still wear makeup? Do you still do that? No, I don't want to wear a dress. I prefer wearing pants and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wear a dress and I prefer pants too, but I was willing <laughs> for a while to wear a dress. No more. Yeah. Dresses. I think I've probably can count on one hand, the number of times I've worn a dress in like the past two years. And a dress does not make a gender. And that is such a, a an important point. It is that also totally. how we choose to express ourselves in, in our clothing and our makeup and our accessorizing or whatever you want to call it has not necessarily a one-to-one correlation with how we feel about our gender. And you don't need to do those things to pass. And I think that's an, it's really important, especially for people who are in that center trying to figure out there's no target to move towards. At least whether it's a good or bad thing, there is a target of female and male. <laughs> But when it's non-binary, it's like, what, what am I, who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to look like? How am I supposed to dress? What's? Oh, I remember when I first came out as gay and I was how am I supposed to go to these gay meetings? What am I supposed to wear? And now the same things happen with people. With, what am I supposed to wear as a non-binary person? Whatever you want. Totally. And that's such an important message. And I, yeah. I know we're so grateful for you sharing so much about your experience with transitioning and surgery and all of these things. Switching gears just a little bit, we we also want to talk about what it was like for you working in tech at companies like, I think you mentioned Facebook and Microsoft mm-hmm. as a non-binary person and what experiences might have been unique to that world or you think might be more universal across the business world. We'd love to hear about that. Yeah, I think things have shifted a lot since I left. I was also still using she, her pronouns. I'm trying to remember when I switched today that it was after I left tech. So it didn't affect me as much. Definitely, I had some times where I would go into bathrooms. And I remember the specific incident where I walked into the women's bathroom near my office, where my, not my office, we didn't have offices at Facebook, where my desk was and walked into the women's restroom. And the woman, a woman saw me, freaked out and ran out. And what was very clear to me is that she thought she was wrong. Not that I was in the wrong bathroom. She was embarrassed and ashamed. And then she looked at the at the sign and then got very confused. So I think things have shifted a lot since then because at that point, I don't think there were all gender restrooms. When I moved to Microsoft, I had an employee who identified as non-binary and they were integral in trying to get an all-gender restroom in our building. And I really supported the efforts on that. And I left Microsoft before it actually happened. But I was watching the tech industry get on board with things. And I was really pleased. I did not tell my boss when I did top surgery that that's what I was out for. He was a probably in his late 50s Indian man. And I just didn't know if he was safe. There was nothing to tell me he wasn't safe, but there wasn't anything telling me he was. But I did tell the team that I, that reported to me. And I did tell other other colleagues. and. I had the sweetest basket of goodies that got sent to me from my team. 
Bridget, you may have seen my my paintings of Harper and Lou, and those were done by one of the the designers that reported to me. One of them was given to me before my top surgery. So I found it really supportive and affirming and possibly because I was working in tech in San Francisco and San Francisco is a wonderful place. And I can just say that I, as far as I can tell from the people I still am in, in contact with in the tech world, it's only gotten better for people of all, not just genders, but of all types of diversity, neurodiversity, racial diversity. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's good. It's, it gives us a lot of hope. I hope it gives folks out there hope that things are changing. And and I've seen the same thing. Many of my clients also follow transgender school. And my clients are mostly mm-hmm. in the tech and the corporate world. And they've been incredibly supportive. And they've they've asked me to speak about our experiences with with Jackie and transitioning and coming out and to educate people in those corporate spaces. So I just want people to have some hope, even though in a lot of pockets of the country and the world, certainly we have so we have so far to go globally, mm. but but there are places where, as you both know, we have a really long way to go. I like to believe that there's hope that things are changing, and I've definitely seen that as well. Yes. Yeah. And even in some of those scary pockets, it's safer than you think. I, I, you see my background picture here is this lake, this beautiful lake. I spend lots of time at this place. My parents have a cottage on where, where that boat is basically. And it's militia country of Northern Michigan and Trump flags everywhere. And I have never once felt unsafe there. It's mostly a live and let live. Now they're never going to ask me about my pronouns and I'm never going to tell them I'm they, them. That's not a thing I'm going to do, but there are, there are pockets of places where it's still, I have hope. I guess I have hope there too. There's lots of, lots of momentum and good, even with all the the scariness and driving across country from Michigan to California, I definitely had fear, but there's a lot to be, be grateful for and a lot to celebrate. I have done that drive. Did you take the 80? Yes. Yeah, I've done that drive. My car broke down in the middle oh. of nowhere in Nebraska. And Oh, no. And yeah, yeah, and a very nice man who told me all about why he voted for Donald Trump, picked me up with his tow truck and gave me a rental car and hooked me up with a hotel for the night in the middle of nowhere. So it's complicated. It is. Yeah. And I asked my ex-wife to drive me out to... I wanted someone to drive and it. She was the best person to also do it with the animals because I wanted company. I had a brand mm-hmm. new car, but I didn't want to be on my own in the middle of America, just in case. Yeah, that's fair for sure. Yeah. And so going back to the the subject of your work, I'm curious mm-hmm. now, now that you're out on your own writing, coaching for our audience, what does it mean to be a self-leadership coach? Yeah. So self-leadership is a buzzword. So I'm going to tell you what it means to me and not necessarily the technical definition. So I really like the movie Inside Out. And if you've seen the movie, it's all about these little characters that are at the switchboard driving our bus all the time, metaphorically. Joy, anger, disgust. You can imagine we've got hundreds, if not thousands of those little characters inside ourselves. We've got the perfectionist, the overachiever, the, oh my God, the shoe's going to drop. We can name them. We got inner critics. And I see self-leadership as how do we get to know that cast of characters within ourselves? And how do we make sure we're coming from 
a deeper, more calm and collected place in guiding those in our world. And so rather than saying, oh my gosh, my perfectionism is at the helm. Oh, my perfectionism is at the helm. How do I not be a perfectionist? Or where's my joy? Let me get my joy at the helm. And it's a, it's a great concept because once you can get yourself to be in an alignment and in harmony and coming from a deeper, more intuitive, calm, collected place, that then leads to how you interact with the world, whether it's with friends, family, or even for people who are in leadership roles, it determines how they lead others. So I really help people, what I call know, like, and trust themselves, get to know who's, who's inside, get to like them a lot. And how do you trust yourself to be able to guide yourself towards the, the things you want to do in life using those cast of characters? That's a really good way to describe it. I, I like that a lot. And I'm curious, when you coach specifically LGBTQ plus clients, what what are some of the common themes or challenges that you work on with them? Yeah, so people really resonate with this concept, especially if they're non-binary, because, oh my gosh, I'm not one thing. I'm multiple things. And I find when we start to get to know these characters inside, they all have different genders. And so it really resonates with people. Like we ask, what is this inner critic part? What does it want to be called? And what's its gender? And, oh, it's a he and it's five years old. So what I'm often trying to do is help understand what are the parts of them, those little cast of characters that are showing up and how are they driving their thoughts on their identity and help them get to a place where they're coming from that more confident, courageous, calm place. I think of it as internal family systems, they call it self. That's yourself guiding everything. I really like to see it as inner wisdom. You're tapping into an inner wisdom and innate intelligence and coming from that place and understanding your identity. And then oftentimes we're going and exploring and experimenting in the world and going and trying on I've had a lot of people who come to me and they're like, I don't know what my gender identity is. And we go, great, let's go play. And then also those characters that are stopping you from playing, who are they and where are they coming from? Are they parent messages? Are they societal messages? Are they fears because something happened to you when you were five years old that made you feel misaligned in your gender? And it's beautiful work. And oftentimes when we start with working on gender, we're really just working on how that person shows up authentically in the world and in their relationships. I just want to jump in and and share the recommendation that you made, Aaron, when we first chatted and had lunch not too long ago. Aaron recommended everybody the book No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. Richard Schwartz. Richard yeah. Schwartz. One of the best books I've ever read. I highly recommend it. In addition to Aaron's book, we're, we're recommending two books this episode. Both of them, incredibly important books for you to have, but reading No Bad Parts really changed me and it really helped me understand mm. those voices inside myself. A lot of what you hear out there is about quieting the voices and especially because you know I'm, I'm involved in meditation teacher certification and 
I don't think anybody's ever said quiet and shut down these voices, but I think I've interpreted it that way at times. Like we need to, we need to quell these voices. We need to quiet these voices. And I love internal family systems because it's more about hearing the voices and loving mm-hmm. the voices and comforting mm-hmm. them and soothing them. Cause they often are that five-year-old terrified self that's still mm-hmm. in there we're trying to remind us it's not safe in the world. So really listening and getting in touch with that. So I love the whole self-leadership idea of honoring all of those voices and people inside of us, those characters, and and just learning how to kind of channel them into where we want to go. Yeah. And what you, as you were talking, something that strikes me is while listening to those voices, a lot of clients find their voice. And something that I have done with a lot of clients who are exploring any form of LGBTQ identity is once they can understand what's going on in their system, they then feel safer to tell other people and articulate it and advocate for themselves. And so many people are worried about, well, what if I don't say it right? What if I don't, or what if it changes? Or what if I don't get it right? And the more we can get connected to those internal voices and understand them, the more we have clarity that we can then bring to our our relationships and help other people understand. And I found that that's sort of a, a beautiful I won't call it a side effect. I think it's a result of doing some of this internal work is that people are saying, oh my gosh, my relationships are just so much more authentic and vulnerable and open. And I'm not worried anymore because I know if I say something wrong and trigger somebody, I've got my own back. I can talk to those voices that feel weird about getting it wrong. I think that's such a great concept. And mm-hmm. coming back to your, your book, which is called mm-hmm. Joyful AF, The Essential mm-hmm. Business Strategy We're Afraid to Put First. There's this concept, there's this thing you talk about that I really relate to coming from campaigns in the political world, working as aides to elected officials, where you you say that joy was not always on your radar, that it was more about the hustle and the grind culture, the titles, the promotions, Mm -hmm. the external validation. But now you see how important joy is in achieving success and making a meaningful impact on the world. So could you tell us a little bit more about that concept and how you kind of moved out of that grind hustle title culture to to prioritizing joy? Yeah, by accident. It was uh, figuring out. So as I was thinking about writing my book, I did an exercise where I took out a big piece of paper and a bunch of colored pencils. And my book coach at the time knew I had a bunch of really wonderful things to share about not just business, but just life and and mindset. And I went through and had all these colors of like, what was a success? What was a failure? What did I learn along the way? And as I looked back on this piece of paper, I started looking at the core, like what was contributing to my successes and what was happening when I felt like I was failing. And I had a friend who was all about the word joy. I didn't resonate with it, but at some point I recognized, oh my gosh, this is the secret when I am in joyful pursuit, I create way more whatever success means to me. You know, I have better clients. I, I have more fun. I'm creating a bigger impact. And then as I started thinking about joy, I, I realized how often that is not at the foundation of what most of us do. And I have this really close friend. She has this this saying that she had found on, I think, online or through a, maybe it was one of the hustle grind guys said, chase excellence and success will chase you. And she said that to me on a call one day. And I said, Marek, try on chase joy and success will chase you. And she said, yeah. And then I watched her whole body recoil. I said, Marek, what's going on? And she said, I just flashed 
to sitting on my couch, eating McDonald's and binging Netflix. And this is a woman who works at Ernst & Young by day, has a podcast by night, also was at the time on the Canadian cricket team, like one of the most high achievers I've ever met in my life. And she just assumed that she would stop and just sit on the couch. And so as I unpacked it, I realized that we have this association that if we do the joyful thing, we'll stop pursuing our goals. We'll get lazy. We'll get apathetic. There's a whole thing in the change-making world. There's a poet, Andrea Gibson, just had this on Instagram about the assumption that if we're too joyful, that we're not paying attention to all the suffering in the world. And so I started to realize that, wow, how many of us think that misery is the only way to create success and impact and that if we pursue our joy, we are bad people. And then I looked at how many people have I seen create so much because they're pursuing joy. And I'm not saying you're pursuing joy isn't a frivolous thing. It's like you're pursuing, there's a million ways to build a business. Which ones are making you joyful? I can tell you right now, I have never been able to make social media joyful for me as a business strategy. But I can go show up on a podcast or go talk to Bridget. And I've had many hours long chats. I can go chat with somebody one-on-one. I'm full of joy. And guess what? I've never gotten a client because they met me on social media because it's not joyful for me. But how many people are trying to stick themselves? And it's not just in business. It's in professional life. It's in all of life. Doing the thing that they're supposed to do that makes a good entrepreneur, a good leader, a good change maker, and ignoring that if they pursue their joy, they're going to do it better. They're probably going to do it longer. They're going to be in it for the long haul. And the thing that they want to create, the people they want to work with are going to receive that joy and want to be part of it. I wish I could say that I've always just known that joy was my thing, but it was really this happenstance. And now it just feels to me, why is this such a secret? I don't mean joy is just a positive, you're always happy bypassing. It's like really joy is a deep sense of alignment and purpose and connection to self and really being tapped into curiosity and creativity and talk about in my book, The Zone of Genius, which is doing the things that feel easy to you, which we often discount because we think if it's easy, that must not matter. No, go do the things that are easy for you because they're not easy for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, yeah, I, get, I, can, I can tell you, I get really passionate about it because I see so many people just hustling and grinding their way towards miserable outcomes and goals and then wondering, why do I hate what I do? Well, and why am I burned out? I think that's just such an important concept. I am so inspired by everything you just shared. And this is why Mm -hmm. I'm so glad we're sharing it here. And we are going to share it on my other podcast, on my coaching. I don't know. I've never mentioned this here, but I have a coaching podcast that I would love you all to check out too called Growth and Gratitude. And Aaron's going to be kind enough to come on that one too, where we're, I want to kind of pick up where we're leaving off with everything you just shared, because I know that I have that ingrained in me, that if I'm really loving what I'm doing to earn money, there must be something wrong. It should be Mm -hmm. toil and difficult. Jackie and I were just talking about, because I'm in this crossroads with my business and how much I want to go back to traveling and doing corporate training and things and how much I love coaching and really trying to figure this out, even at my stage of life. 
And what you just said spoke to me so powerfully, Erin, and people really need to hear that message. It doesn't have to be hard and painful. Yes, it's not always going to be joyful. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm never going to love invoicing and marketing and a lot of the things we have to do to have a business. But I love coaching so much. I get Mm -hmm. so much joy and I'm able to make decent money, really helping people to feel good about themselves and to deal with the challenges, they, the many challenges in the world and in their work that they have to deal with and in their personal lives. And so everything you just shared is so meaningful for everybody here. I hope that people get a sense of what they would get in coaching with you. Something. So I want to make a little bit of a connection here too. And something you just said was also sparked a thought, which you said you don't like doing the marketing or the, there's, there's, I don't like paying my taxes. I mean, I like, I like, the concept of paying my taxes, but I don't like actually going into (laughs) my bookkeeping, figuring out my taxes. And I think, I think there's joy in being in the the pain and the grief and the sorrow and the hard. One of the things I read about in my book is that we often set goals and we set goals that we think are achievable and easy to get. And we're the least satisfied when we get there because it was too easy. We have to have the struggle and the pain because that's what creates that joyful satisfaction on the other end. So what you're describing is really important. And it's a really important message around joy. It's Again, it's not about being positive all the time. It's not about always doing things you love. It's about being in the fullness of the experience mm-hmm. and challenging yourself and being purpose-led and being connected to what's important to you and to yourself and taking courageous risks. So that that I wanted to highlight. And the second thing is, we're on a podcast about gender and how often do we see people who align themselves with their gender experience, we call it trans joy. And what happens is it's infectious. Anytime I'm around anybody who is aligned with their authentic identity, it is absolutely infectious. And people who become in tune with their own joy are able to live these incredibly wonderful lives. So joy is not just a professional thing. And it's not just an emotion. It's a deep alignment with self. And those of us who are in the LGBT community know it better than, than I think most communities about what, what it really feels like to wake up with joy at your core. Because who you are is aligned. And in more, and when you're celebrating it with other people, even better. And so if you like this concept, if you want to hear more about joy, reminder that Aaron's book is called Joyful AF, The Essential Business Strategy We're Afraid to Put First. And Aaron, where can our listeners find your book? You can find it on Amazon. And the important thing is I define joy-f-u-l-l. There's a distinction between what we understand as joyful and what I feel is joyful. And so if you're finding my, yeah, my book, it can be harder to find if you don't have that dash F-U-L-L in the title. And you'll know it's my book when you see a bow tie on the, on the, the front, because one of my biggest joys is wearing bow ties. Joy dash F-U-L-L with two L's. Check it yes. out, everyone. And yes. where else can people find you, Erin? Yes, I know you, you can, are active on Instagram and other places. Yeah, I've been actually realizing my joy on Instagram is just sharing me and my life. So I'm not doing as much business sharing. I'm starting to get on LinkedIn. I don't know how much joy I have there. I would say that <laughs> start with going to my website, 
It's erinmbaker.com. I will be very clear. You won't see anything about my gender coaching on that website because I do a lot of work with people in business and it can be confusing for people to see on the site. So just treat it like if you know the, the, the restaurant chain in and out, they have a secret menu. I have a secret menu and it's all about gender and sexual identity coaching. And it's one of my biggest joys. And I'm also available for speaking and workshops. I've done a lot of that over the last few years. And maybe someday I'll have that on my website. But right now it's just, if you know, you know. I love the secret menu concept. <laughs> I think secret everybody should know menu. most. Yeah, most yes. coaches have that. I have with the secret menu too. All kinds of coaching yeah. I've done with folks that are is not on my website. So parents come to me quite a bit asking about different types of support for young people. And I know you're happy to work with young people. Yes. You're happy to work with yes anybody at any stage of life. So I'm really glad that you shared the secret menu with us here. And I really want people to to look into p- potentially having you support them or their kids. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's important to note that I am also very happy to support parents. I know it can be, especially in the non-binary, which is not as well understood and known. I've found with some of the clients I've worked with that parents really do want to understand, but have a harder time wrapping their brain around it. And so I'm absolutely happy to also do coaching for parents who want to be able to engage with their kid. Mm-hmm. Thanks for letting us know that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so people will know where to find you. We'll make sure to have everything in the show notes. And Aaron, is there anything that you wanted to share that we have forgotten to ask you about? Any final thoughts? I think, I feel like we covered a lot of ground, we but did. I want to check in. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say to all the folks out there that are sort of questioning their gender or gender identity to play and to remind yourself that the boxes that we've created around gender are completely made up. And it's not even a spectrum between male and female. It is a sphere. And that however you want to show up and present and however you feel as an identity is valid and it can change and just play. It's beautiful. And I think all of us who are doing that right now are at the forefront of helping the rest of society realize that so much is made up and that all of our identities can be whatever we want and we all can play. So know that even when it's hard, you're at the forefront of a pretty big movement in the world. What a great note to end on. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to join us today, Erin. And I hope everyone checks out your book, your website, and The Secret Menu. Yes. Thank you, Erin. I'm so grateful to you for being here. And I can't wait to see you again in person, have hours more of conversation, which I know we will I'm all about it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Can't wait for everyone to hear this. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching. Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month.